You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Christmas, and uh, we'll begin today with the gift of hope. And so let me just ask you, do you ever feel like Charlie Brown? I mean, do you find yourself in the midst of all the Christmas decorations, and pretty soon the radio stations are going to all be playing the Christmas songs, and you just know that those are going to get stuck in your head? And then there's the bustle of shopping, traffic, lines, parties, and not to mention the stress of baking Christmas cookies. I mean, do you ever want to just stand up and shout in exasperation like Charlie Brown? Isn't there anyone that knows anything about Christmas? Got to fix my thing here. I'm having technical difficulties. There we go. I'm sure you've seen the Christmas special on TV, uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas. It's been airing since 1965, which is really a pretty good run, especially for a cartoon that was produced on such a shoestring budget. Basically, it came about, it was a last-minute production that came about when Coca-Cola was looking for a Christmas special that they could sponsor for the purpose of holiday marketing. And since the Peanuts uh, comic strip was so wildly popular at the time, they asked for a meeting and ideas. And so Peanuts producer Charles Schultz and the producers, they threw together an outline and uh, they presented it to the Coke execs who went for it. Now, Schultz had some rather unorthodox ideas when it came to this production, like incorporating a a jazz soundtrack with traditional Christmas music. And even though laugh tracks were uh, a staple of TV shows at that time, he chose not to use one. But most of all, he was adamant about the Christmas story being presented in its entirety even with a a scene read right from the Bible. Well, the TV producers thought, well, it's too controversial to read the Bible on national television. But Schultz insisted. And controversial or not, I, I think it's done pretty well. In fact, it just aired this last Thursday night. I can remember enjoying watching it with my family from the time I was a young boy right up through my teenage years, and now I get to watch it with my children. And you've probably seen it a time or two yourself. And so like me, you know that Charlie Brown is surrounded by all of the trappings of Christmas, all the marketing, all the commercialism, and what he finds is that it comes up empty. And so as he's wondering aloud, What is the true meaning of Christmas? His best friend Linus sets him straight with a clear answer, right straight out of the Gospel of Luke. 
In one of the most moving scenes of television history, Linus recites this passage. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. It was in those words that Charlie Brown found hope. It's where the Christmas season turns for him and good old Chuck realizes the true meaning of Christmas. And he went from being depressed by the season to being inspired by it. He went from this inward focus of, of questioning to an outward focus of sharing the good news of this season with others. And so today I invite you to hear these same words of hope as we uh, enter this Advent season in preparation and expectation for Christmas. So what exactly is the Advent season? Well, for some people, this may be a new concept. But for others, it may bring back memories of lighting candles on an evergreen wreath or maybe those little calendars that have the windows that open up to reveal a gift or a treat for each day of the month leading up to Christmas. But Advent is really so much more than that. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And it's a season that's marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. It's a season that connects the past with the present as it looks to the future. Advent gives us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be alert as we wait in eager expectation for his second coming, when he returns as promised for his people. In a season often marked by the frenzied busyness, Advent is an opportunity for us to set aside time to prepare our heart, to help us focus on a greater story than our own. The story of God's redeeming love and how he sent his son into this world that was lost in darkness. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the deep, land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So over the next four weeks, we're going to unwrap the gifts of Christmas as we journey through this Advent season and it's our chance to hear the story, maybe for the first time, or to rehear it again with new ears, and to really remember what Christmas is really about. So we'll begin today by unwrapping the gift of hope. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, I ask that you give us understanding as we look to your word today. And may our hearts be set upon you. Lord, it's so easy to get distracted and, and just with all the busyness and the noise and the, the movement of the Christmas season that we sometimes lose focus on what's really important and our hope that we have in you. And so, Lord, today I ask that you quiet our minds, that you slow down our, our spirit, slow us down that we might pause and enjoy the season Remembering your redeeming grace. Thank you for the love, the joy, the peace, and the hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning I have three observations about hope that I want to share with you. And the first observation is that hope requires faith. Next, we'll see that hope implies waiting. And then the final observation is our hope will not be disappointed. So let's begin. Point number one, hope requires faith. Now think with me about the word hope. We use it in our vocabulary all the time. But what does it mean? Webster defines hope as an action verb meaning to desire with expectation of fulfillment. And so we see that to hope in something, you place your hope in or on something or someone. So hope requires trust. But in what or in whom do we trust? The psalmist wrote, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So where is your hope placed this morning? Often we find that our faith can be misplaced. We'll typically hear people make statements like this when referring to hope. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I get that job or that promotion. I hope he gets better, and I hope she shows up. I hope, I hope, I hope. You can fill in the blank, but do you see a theme? You see, worldly hope is characterized by uncertainty and doubt and a lack of control over the things that we wish for that may or may not even happen. But true hope is built on the foundation of our faith in God and His Word. It's based on the promises of God. Faith in God and His Word is the foundation of our identity as children of God. And it's because of our faith that we have hope and the expectation of the fulfillment of His promises. Now, faith, very simply, is our belief system. It's what we truly believe. And everyone has faith or belief in something. But the question is, are we believing the truth? If we are, then our faith is actually an I know so. 
Because it's based and built and founded on God's word and his promises. Rather than a maybe soul that's relying on probabilities that are uncertain and uncontrollable. The evangelist Billy Graham once said, The greatest need in our world today is the need for hope. We thrive on hope. We rejoice in hope. We witness in hope. Knowing that experience works hope. Happy is he whose hope is in the Lord his God. Psalm 146 verse 5. There is hope for the future. It is centered in the person of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the grave and is alive now. I have staked all that I am and ever hope to be on him. Romans 15 tells us that, our, that God is the source of our hope. The Apostle Paul writes, I pray that, the God, that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because of Because you trust in him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that God is not only the source of our hope, but he's also the supplier of our hope. And he wants us to abound in hope, to overflow with this confident hope that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Point number two. Hope implies waiting. In the Bible, the words hope and waiting are used interchangeably. We see the word hope used over 200 times. And it can be summarized as having a confident expectation in the future. It means having a contagious enthusiasm for what will come. And so together, we wait. Patiently. Actively and expectantly, we wait. First, we patiently wait. Hope reinforces, it strengthens our faith, and it motivates us to continue to trust in God. It requires patience because, as you know, waiting can be a challenge. But it's so worth it. We might not immediately see God's blessing or his promises fulfilled. But we can wait patiently and hope in God, being confident that he is true to his word. So think about this. What is the longest that you've waited for something? A day? Week? Month? Year? Is there anything in your life that you've been waiting your entire life for? Well, the people of Israel were well acquainted with waiting. In fact, their whole history is marked by waiting and looking to this Messiah that would come and set them free. And the Old Testament is full of prophecies that talk about this Messiah. One example is found in the book of Isaiah that says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Another well-known prophecy, also from the book of Isaiah, says, For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Well, these and other prophecies throughout the Old Testament give us a clear expectation of God's Messiah, hundreds of years before, of it, before his arrival. But the promise didn't always make the waiting easy. And we share in the waiting of the people of Israel as well. Like them, most of us have situations and circumstances in our life that make it difficult to wait on God. Like them, we too are still waiting for the complete fulfillment of God's salvation for this world. Romans 8 tells us that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait in eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. How many are thankful for that? Amen. And we're given this hope when we're saved. If we already have something, then we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't yet have, we must patiently and confidently wait. Waiting patiently in hope has a positive effect on our spiritual growth and maturity. You see, God intends the waiting to help your faith grow. And it's not really so much a matter of how long we have to wait, but it's how we're transformed as we wait. So next we see that we actively wait. Our present hope in Jesus doesn't stop the storms of life. It doesn't change the circumstances or situations that we face. But like an anchor that holds a ship steady against the wind and the waves, our hope holds us steady against the storms of life. It holds us firm and secure. And no matter what the outward results look like at any given moment, we can find hope in the words of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 that says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. So instead of trying to manage and control all those things that are going on right now around you, or those things that are going to happen maybe in the future, know that we can Place it all in the hands of Jesus. We can release it to him because God loves us and he's working in all things for our good. Henry Nolan, in his book, A Spirituality of Waiting, said, A waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. And so we wait in the moment, trusting God 
and his promises to be fulfilled. Now, waiting can be defined in a couple of different ways. It can mean that we stay put until an event happens, or the arrival of someone, or it's just our turn to do something. But waiting can also mean service. Think about the person that serves you as you dine out. Now, does our waiter just stand off to one side, passively hoping that we'll receive the food that we desire? No. Our waiter is active, and, and they greet us. They give us a menu. They make recommendations. They take our order, refill our drinks, and bring us our food. And so I see our waiting on God as also being active and not passive. You see, we continue to wait and to serve and to follow Christ regardless of the storms that we go through in life. Because we have the hope that is anchored in God's word. Finally, we expectantly wait. Well, our focus leading up to Christmas is naturally on the birth of Jesus Christ and his arrival into our world. But Advent is also about the future. We long for all things to be made new and for all things to be restored. And Advent isn't just about preparing our hearts for Christmas, but it's also about preparing our hearts for his second coming. Now, there's a difference between expecting and expectantly waiting. Expectations. You know, if we base our expectations on what we hope will happen, what we wish for, what we desire, then we're going to be disappointed if reality doesn't produce those same results that we desire. Dr. Randy Carlson, president of, living, of Intentional Living, once said this, expectations minus reality equals disappointment. Expectations minus reality equals disappointment. And so our hope isn't built on wishful thinking, but our hope is built on the promise that the baby that was born in a stable in Bethlehem, who came to this world and lived a sinless life, who suffered under Pontius Pilate and willingly laid down his life so that we could have right standing with God, was raised to life by God the Father and will soon come again as the King of kings and Lord of lords in all of his glory to fulfill his plan of redemption. And that's a plan that will endure throughout eternity. So point number three is our hope will not be disappointed. In Romans 5 we read, this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know that how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The Apostle Paul explains that our hope will not be disappointed because of the great love that God has for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit who is living within us, empowering us to persevere 
revealing truth and comforting our heart. In this journey of life, we don't walk alone. God is with us. He's always with us, regardless of what storms we walk through. He doesn't say that we'll be delivered from that. He says that I will be with you, even in the fire. My father-in-law, Pedro de Colster, a great man of faith, would always say, the best part of Christian life is that God is with us. Think about that. God is with us. So hope reveals that there's a plan. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and he called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan before the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Hope believes the promise will be fulfilled. Titus 1.2 says, This truth gives them, speaking of those chosen by God, confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And Hebrews 10.23 tells us, to hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Now, imagine if you were to receive a beautifully wrapped package, beautifully wrapped gift. And if you knew that the person who gave you this gift cares deeply about you, then you know that the contents within this package are going to be wonderful. But we have to unwrap the gift in order to experience and enjoy the gift that's within. If we were to just leave it unwrapped and sitting on a shelf, as beautiful as it may be, We'll never know the love that the giver of this gift has expressed to us. Our Heavenly Father has given us a great gift of hope. And so today I want us to unwrap that gift. It's a hope that will carry you throughout your life. Through the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, the joy and the pain. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your trust in Jesus and you're experiencing feelings of hopelessness, wondering to yourself, is this all there is? What is the meaning in life? This gift has been given to you as well. And you can unwrap that gift given to you by our Heavenly Father. You see, God so loved you that He gave his one and only son to die so that you could be forgiven of your sin and enter into a right relationship with God and we have the hope of eternal life that's the hope 
That's the gift that is offered to you today. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And so that's our hope. That his word is true and that he fulfills his promises. And so I would invite you today to pray this prayer with me if you place your faith or your trust in Jesus Christ. If you are looking for that hope that's going to carry you through, that eternal hope that's not based on wishful thinking, would you pray this prayer with me? God, I'm a sinner who needs your forgiveness. I'm tired of trying to live my life without you. So today I'm making the choice to become a follower of Jesus. I admit that I'm imperfect and I fall short in so many ways. And I thank you for loving me despite my faults, my mistakes, and my failures. I confess that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all my sins. And I believe that he was raised to life on the third day, offering forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for filling me with this hope as I await your return. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.